Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 5. We'll read verse 13 tonight, and then uh, we'll start back at verse 1 and work our way through uh, most of the chapter. But uh, we'll read verses 13 and 14 to start and uh, sort of kind of get us kicked off tonight. As we look at our series, um, they call it Revealing Jesus and uh, changed the series title. Um, and we're calling it Revealing Jesus as Champion. Because really what it is, some people see uh, Revelation as a uh, map of the end times. And it does give us some ideas about the end times. But primarily what the book of Revelation is, is revealing to us that Jesus is the champion of eternity that Jesus ultimately wins. It's an encouragement to persecuted Christians that those who are persecuting them, those who look like they're in control, though it looks like the world's spinning out of control, that Jesus will ultimately put all things right. And so Jesus wins, really is the big idea behind the book of Revelation. So look, if you will, in uh, chapter 5, verse 13. Remember last week we looked at worshiping God, the one who sits upon the throne, and it's going to be very similar this week. Look at verse 13. Then John, John is the one that the book of Revelation was revealed to. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, that's everything, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I can remember a time, I think I was in elementary or junior high school when I had this idea that I wish there was something I could do better than anybody in the world. Did anybody ever, anybody ever, anybody, am I the only one? I'm the only one. All right. Well, I have. I remember thinking, I remember telling my, telling my friend, if it's tiddlywinks, I wish there was something that I could just like the champion at, something I could do better than Anybody took a little pole. I mean, I could run pretty good. I could jump pretty good. I could do a lot of things pretty good. But I wasn't really the best at anything. I want to be the best at something. So I I asked my family, took a little survey of the family. What is something that uh, unique about you that you do better than most people, whatever? Uh, Laura, I wish she was here because this is a whole lot more fun if she's here. Do your thumb like this. Everybody do their thumb like this. Because I'm like that. All right. Laura's thumb bends this way further than anybody's in here. <laughs> Her thumb naturally just, I mean, almost has a U shape to it when it's here. As I said, it's not, it's, yours is pretty close. Yeah, you have a big U in yours as well. Lisa's the only one pretty close to that. So, she, so anyway, that's her big claim to fame. I asked Joel, I said, what do you do that, um, that's kind of, you know, kind of you excel at? And he said, I don't guess anything. And I said, well, how about the Rubik's Cube? You do, you do Rubik's Cube pretty well, right? Uh, best times under 40 seconds. Somebody said, that's pretty good, right? Pretty good. Here's the difference between my kids. Ask Hannah Grace, what are you really good at? Maybe better than most people. And she said, quote, be awesome and perfect. <laughs> that's my guys. And so, uh, so anyway, I did look up a couple of things that some people do better than others. Some Guinness Book of World Records you may want to take a shot at. Uh, there's a guy named Daniel Hansen who climbed in a hollowed-out pumpkin and paddled for 37 and a half miles. He holds the Guinness Book of World Records, World Records for paddling a pumpkin boat. And uh, he did it the day after his 60th birthday. 
So there's a guy. If you want to try a, girl, a world record, you can try the paddle in the pumpkin boat. Uh, anybody want to take a guess at the world record of the most eggs balanced on the back of a person's hand? Anybody want to take a guess? Nobody wants to take a guess. 18. Yeah, that's a lot of eggs, right? 18. And actually, that's a co-record. A guy named Ibrahim from Iraq and a guy named Jack Harris of Britain, both of the co-holders uh, co co of that record. One last one. There's a guy uh, named Liam Kai of Malaysia who has the world record of putting together Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> he took a Mr. Potato Head, completely disassembled, and he put it together in 5.4 seconds. That's fast for assembling Mr. Potato Head. So if y'all want to take out something, take, go for a Guinness Book of World Records. There's a couple you might take a shot at. Here's the idea for us tonight. There are some things that Jesus can do better than anybody else. In fact, Jesus can do anything better than anybody else. And I say that, you can't, you know, the minute I say that, my little sarcastic mind goes to work. He doesn't lie better than anybody else. You know, there's some things that Jesus doesn't do. But all good things, Jesus does what nobody else can do. We're going to see that tonight as we worship Jesus tonight. We want to see and worship him for the things that he has done, has done for us, is doing in us, and will do through and for us in eternity. And we want to worship Jesus tonight for that one who does what nobody else uh, can do. This chapter 5, we're going to see a shift uh, in chapter 4, we worship him who sits upon the throne. And we know that God doesn't have a human body. It's a spirit. And we saw last week that it was the outshining of his glory on the throne. And tonight, this, the worship is going to shift to Jesus, to the lamb that was slain. So that's what we're going to look at tonight as we see this. What we see tonight as we think about this, what we really need to focus on is as humankind's inability to live like life as it's meant to be lived, to see humankind's inability to break free from the guilt and the shame and the pain and the hurt and the unforgiveness and the bitterness that we all tend to live in. We can't break free. I mean, think about it. The crime, the bitterness, the hatred, the heartaches and all that kind of stuff. After humankind's been here this long, if we could break free, seems like we would have. But we can't. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. He does what no human person uh, can do. And so we want to look at it. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Let's dig in. We'll go through these verses tonight and see what Jesus does for us. So look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, we know God the Father doesn't have hands. This is, a, this is kind of a picture, kind of a symbol of what's going on here. A scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And so the chapter opens with God the Father having a scroll. It has, it's sealed. That means, and in the old days, they would seal it with like a wax and impress an imprint on it. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't hard to break, but the person that it was delivered to would know that it was broken. And so you were, uh, especially if Caesar or some kind of government person, if they sealed the scroll and you broke it, you were accountable to them for breaking their seal, breaking their property, breaking their ownership. And so this is a really, really big deal. You just can't open up a something that's been sealed by a power higher than you. And John sees this scroll. It's written inside and on the back, which means it's written. There's a lot here to go on. And, uh, and it's a scroll. It's not a book. It's a scroll. In researching this... 
it seems like most commentators feel like that uh, the scrolls, I mean, they were, think about it, that's a, it's a bulky thing. And uh, they would either read them. Some say, you know, hold this in the left hand, this is the right hand, and, and roll it this way. Some say they rolled it this way. Uh, as best I can determine, the book of Revelation is a scroll probably around 15 feet long. So it's a kind of a bulky kind of a thing. So what was written on the scroll? Short answer, we don't know. John doesn't tell us what's written on the scroll. Now, we can make some guesses. We can make some pretty good guesses. Uh, some people say it's the Old and New Testament. Um, I think that's a weak argument because, I mean, they already had the Old Testament opened up, and so it wasn't sealed up, and so why would it, why would it be that? Uh, some people say that the scroll was uh, representative of the book of Revelation, and that makes some sense because uh, we're going to see in the next chapter, they begin to break the seals, and we get to see what's there. So the book of Revelation is, uh, is a pretty good guess at what's on the seals. Uh, other people say it's the title deed to planet Earth. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's kind of a weak argument. Um, here's the thing. The argument says that when Adam and Eve sinned, that humankind forfeited control of the earth to Satan. And he became the little G God of this world. And Jesus here is reclaiming the ultimate authority over the earth. And so this seal is the title deed that he's gaining back. And the problem with that is Jesus is already Lord of heaven and earth. And uh, the other thing with that is if it is the title deed, he already has it. It's in his hand. He doesn't have to win it back from anybody. The ultimate idea, uh, here's what one person said. The best solution is to see the scroll is God's will, his final settlement of the affairs of the universe. And I think that's probably about as good as we can get. It's a final settlement of the affairs of the universe. The scroll helps us to see Jesus ultimately wins. That all the stuff that goes wrong and all the heartache on the earth, that Jesus will ultimately settle things right. Whatever it is, it's really big and it's really important because look at verse 2 at what John sees. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals. Notice there, the question is, who is worthy? It's not who is strong enough. It's not who's smart enough. It's not who's connected enough. It's not who's talented enough. It's who is worthy to open the scroll. Wouldn't that be a great way for us to elect public officials? Instead of who has the most campaign money, who's the best speaker, who's the best fundraiser, who's the most connected, who has the best endorsements. Instead of having that, what if we elected people based on this person has integrity and this person will do what is right even when it costs them in the polls and this person has courage and this person served and he wants to serve the people that, he's, that, that elected him into office and this person has courage courage to do the right thing. I mean, wouldn't that be a much better way in public office and churches and any other kind of thing to say, who has the character for this position? And that's the question here. Who has the character, who's worthy to open the seals? And in verse 3, look at what he says. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. Complete helplessness. Now think about that for a minute. There are some pretty good candidates. 
to be able to open the scroll. I mean, you think about it, they look at heaven and on earth. and under, In other words, we looked at living and dead people. We looked at everybody, angels, humankind, everybody we can think of. Abraham wasn't worthy. Moses wasn't worthy. Elijah wasn't worthy. Enoch, who walked with God and was not because God took him straight to heaven. Enoch, not worthy. Peter's not worthy. James, John, Barnabas, Paul, not worthy. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. None of them are worthy. Complete helplessness on the part of humankind. And, and, and there's some things, guys, what? There's some things only God can do. And nobody knows. Here's the good thing for us. Nobody knows what a day may bring or if they have the strength to deal with it. We don't know what kind of challenges we're going to face. We don't know what kind of difficulties are going to come our way. We don't know what the phone call might bring in our way. We don't know what kind of sicknesses we may have to deal with, the kind of disappointments we may have to deal with. But here's the thing. We know one who can. We know one who's worthy. We know the one to turn to. There was a song when I first started uh, preaching. There was a gospel group came to our church, and they sang this song. Man, our church fell in love with it. They would end up on their feet every time they'd sing it. It would talk about, you know, I can't heal a broken heart, and I can't do all these kinds of things but I know a man who can. You know it, don't you? I know a man who can. It's a fantastic song. Look, we may not be able to handle the difficulties of our days, but man, we know who can, right? We know the one, we know the one who is worthy, which is a really good reason to worship, that he's worthy. Look at verse 4. I, so John wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. That word, when it says he wept much, means a loud sobbing. He wept noisily. John is sobbing here. He's brokenhearted here. Why? Well, he was promised to see this in Revelation chapter 4.1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And the idea is that God's going to set things right. And so John has this, this, this promise to see what's coming, to see that God's going to set things right, to see that Jesus is going to redeem an unredeemed world. And all of a sudden, it looks like he's not going to see it. And not only is he not going to be able to see it, but it looks like God's kingdom is not, not going to be able to see God's kingdom come. He's not going to see things be able to put right. See, John is weeping because he wants to see the world change. Christians are being persecuted and scattered and it's not right. And John wants to see that put right. He wants to see the world rid of evil and sin. He wants to see the kingdom of God come in its fullness. He wants to see guilt and sin and shame done away with. John wants to see what? Satan bound. He wants to see Christ exalted. These are things that all have been promised. And now it looks like the scroll's been sealed up and John is weeping because he longs to see the purpose of God come to fruition here. John knew that Christians had been scattered and persecuted for years. And he's writing to persecuted Christians. He's writing to people who have been mistreated. He's writing to people who are tired of being put down and betrayed and talked about and even put to death on occasions. And John's heart's longing to see all these things put right. He knew that the Christian church was severely persecuted, severely mistreated, and there was on earth nobody to defend them. No king 
No king, no ruler was on earth to defend them. And so he's looking for a king, and we know who it is. Only Jesus can defend us. So when everything is going badly and it doesn't look like it's working out right, we can always turn to the one who can change it, the one who will come in his fullness. And that really should be the heart of all of us. Lord, would you come put things right? Can we see your kingdom come in all of his fullness? And so the scroll seems to be sealed up and they can't hear it and the application for us tonight be might be are our ears stopped up do we have because jesus is going to break the scroll. he's going to speak and what we want to know is do we have the ears to hear what jesus is saying it's the thing jesus says more than anything else in the book of revelation he that has ears to hear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And praise Jesus, he is speaking and he will change the world, right? Look if you will in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven Seals. They said, John, look, don't, the story hasn't been written yet. The, the end of the story is not here. You're weeping prematurely because God's still in control. And then he turns and he says, look, there's a lot, look at what he says. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, the tribe of Judah is the tribe that the Messiah was prophesied to come from. Lion is what? The king. Lion stands for king, stands for majesty, stands for power. He says there is a king coming. The Messiah, the promised one is coming out of the root of David. In other words, he's a descendant of David. God promised there's going to be a king after David, a heavenly king, a real king, a king of kings coming from the, from the, from the, the family of David. He's coming to set things right. And so uh, John looks and he says, look, there's coming the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, when it says the lion has prevailed, it means that he is completely triumphant. Completely triumphant. He completely wins. Jesus is one who always wins. In fact, he's the one, you know, we like good comebacks, right? You like upsets and, you know, these kind of deals where the, the, the guy looks like he has no chance and he comes back and he wins. Jesus' greatest Seeming defeat was what? When he was crucified on the cross, right? That looks like a defeat from any perspective from earth. I mean, it looks like he completely loses. Public opinion goes against him, falls in the hands of his enemies. His friends can't rescue him. He has no army to come for him. And this seeming defeat sets the stage for his greatest victory on earth, the resurrection. So never fret, friend. He is always, he always, always, he is the only one that always wins. Look at verses 6 and 7. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Where are we going to look when things are going wrong? Where are we going to look when we're beaten down? We look to the Lamb. See, it's interesting. John, they said there's a lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looked for a lion and he saw a lamb. 
And it's an interesting lamb. The word lamb is mentioned 29 times in the book of Revelation. That's an interesting animal to have for the conquering hero. <laughs> you know, if you look at countries, a lot of countries have a, a, a national animal. You know, uh, Russia's is the bear. You know, big, ferocious animal. Uh, England is the lion. France is the tiger. The United States actually is the buffalo. Our national bird is the eagle. Our national animal is the buffalo. And so you try to find what? Ferocious, winning, triumphant. Of course, you do have Costa Rica's as a sloth. <laughs> so you do have those kind of guys. But, I mean, if you were to pick, you know, a mascot, you're going to pick a symbol of power you don't really pick a lamb. Um, when Laura and her family lived in California, the University of California at Berkeley, um, really, really um, um, kind of hippified kind of a college campus, and they didn't have football at the time, and so they were bringing college football to the campus, and a lot of the students, they were, you know, peace, love, and all that kind of stuff, and they didn't want football kind of thing. They let them choose their own mascot. <laughs> They chose the banana slug, <laughs> and it is still their mascot. They have a guy dresses up as a banana slug in the whole nine yards. Guy. Well, I mean, really, the lamb? But here's what's interesting. He looks for a lion, and he sees the lion. What's interesting about this lamb, he says it's, it's a lamb that's been slain, which, we would, which would lead us to believe, why would, you, why would he look like he's been slain? I believe it's because he still has crucifixion marks on it. So the, the lamb has the marks of crucifixion. He's a, he's a lamb as though he's been slain. But what does a slain lamb do? He lays on the ground, but this lamb is standing on his feet. It's a slain lamb standing on it, which means what? Resurrection. This is a lamb who has conquered death. I mean, he's taken on the worst that death, heaven, I mean, death, hell, and Satan can throw at him and has triumphed over it. A kingly lion, but a lamb who gives himself for you and I. And then it goes on to say he has seven horns. Now, don't try to picture that, okay? Uh, the word horn is a word for strength. It's a word for strength, which means he has complete Power. We can praise Jesus and worship Jesus tonight that he has sovereign power over everything and anything that moves. And then it goes on to say that he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. This is the Holy Spirit. And we've mentioned this several times. But the seven eyes stands for his perfect wisdom, his perfect knowledge. He's all-seeing. God is all-powerful, and he's all-seeing, and he's all-knowing. And, and this is Jesus. This is one reason why we sing, all hail King Jesus. Why? Because he is the king that way. This is why we, we say, all hail the power of Jesus' name, right? Why? Crown him Lord of all. Why? He is perfect in every bit of his attributes. He is the spirit, the one who is worthy. He can reclaim the world. He can set the world right. Why? He has the authority, the power, and the wisdom to do it. Now, as we look at this, he's the one that can open the scrolls. As I thought about this, as applying it to our lives today, uh, Jesus also has the power to open our hearts. He can open some things in us, right? He can open our hearts to love people we may not naturally love. He can open our hearts to befriend people we may not get along with. You see, this morning I talked about, in the last two weeks on Sunday mornings, I've talked about love your enemies. 
How do you do that? Well, one of the first things you got to do to be able to love your enemy is to know that you're loved. You got to be able to experience love. And to really, to love your enemies, you have to come from a place of, boy, I was somebody's enemy, and I was loved unconditionally. I was loved in grace, nothing held against me, completely forgiven. And that's who you are as a redeemed child of God. And that's how you love is because the love of God is you've experienced it in your heart. You've experienced far beyond anything that you deserve, anything that you really could ask for. So out of that, out of Jesus loving us, not us knuckling down and gritting our teeth and trying, I'm going to love that person if it's the last thing I do. No, it's coming out of a heart full of love. He opens our hands to serve people, to help people, to minister to people. He opens our horizons to see, man, God has a plan. God has a purpose. God can do something with my life. Jesus not only opens up uh, sealed up scrolls, he opens up sealed up hearts and sealed up hands and sealed up horizons. Praise Jesus for that, man. The Lamb is center stage here in Revelation chapter 5. Look at verse 8 in the New International Version. And when he had taken it, the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Listen, guys, this is a great worship hymn. In fact, there's a worship hymn here that has three parts to it, three parts to this worship hymn you have. First of all, there is a declaration of the worthiness of Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll. One of the things that we do in worship is we declare who God is. God is love. God is grace. God is kind. We declare this is the characteristic. This is the attributes of God. The second part of the hymn is not just a declaration of the worthiness, but it's an announcement of what Jesus has accomplished. What he's accomplished, what does it say? You were slain by his death. He, the revelation says he purchased us. He bought us. We belong to him. So we praise him for who he is. We praise him for what he has done. And then the last part of the hymn is a list of wonderful results that come to the followers of the Lamb. You made them to be, kingdom, uh, you made them to be a kingdom and priest. You made them to be a kingdom and priest. Now, you've seen the story. Of, uh, are you seeing the pictures of people in heaven with harps? Well, you find that here in Revelation chapter 5. These guys have, had a harp. Now, how many of you harp music is your favorite, favorite music? Not, not, not anybody, right? The, the, here's the thing. This is old-time stuff. The harp, in that day, in time, for me, I think of Lawrence Welk kind of stuff, right? The harp in the, day of, in the days that, of Jesus and, 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 and in back, the harp was a joyful instrument. It was an instrument linked to praise. So whatever instrument says, whether it's a trumpet, whether it's a guitar, it's a drum, or whatever instrument it is for you, whatever instrument to you says joy and praise and worship, that's the idea here. We have instruments to praise God with. And then he says that... Um, that God's people who were despised on the earth during John's day, it says their prayers are in a golden bowl like incense before the Lord. 
Do you know what that means? That means your prayers are precious to God. He knows them. He remembers them. He has them. And he, he didn't put them in a Tupperware bowl. Put them in a golden bowl. And it's like, it's like incense. It's like, a, 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 well, for you ladies, it's like a sweet-smelling candle. For you men, it's like frying bacon in the morning. <laughs> okay? But think about golden bowls of incense. This should be an encouragement for us to pray. That God loves your prayers. That God values your prayers. Not because they're pretty necessarily. Not because they have beautiful language necessarily. I mean, you think about it, What are some of your most prized possessions from your children? Or from somebody that you love? A lot of times... It's a little five-year-old scribbling that's colors outside the lines that says what? I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. I love you, Nanny. I love you, Grampy. Something like that. And what happens? It gets, it gets, man, it gets prized place in the house. It gets on the refrigerator, right? Because it's precious to you. Why? It comes from your child's loving heart, especially if it's free will. Right, especially if it comes from your child's heart or a loved one's heart or somebody else's heart, and and it wasn't because. And I love that they do it in children's church. Don't get me wrong; I love that kind of that we have all those things put up on our little our little box of, of keepsakes as well. But boy, when, when when one does it unprovoked, nobody asked them to, nobody told them to. They just come in there and say, "I love you, mommy. I love you, granny. I love you, nanny. I love you, daddy. I love you, grandpa. Whatever it is, that's special." And God says. Your prayers are like that to him. They're in a golden... Somebody said, well, if God already knows what I need, why do I need to pray? Well, one thing is because God already knows if you're going to pray or not. <laughs> you know, he set it up that he'll answer your prayers. The other thing is God loves your heart when your heart wants to communicate with him. And it's valuable to him. Um, at the end of verse chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 21 in Revelation, the Bible says, all believers are granted to sit down with me on my throne. In Revelation chapter 5, what we just seen, see, he's made us a kingdom and priest. What that means is one day uh, we're going to rule and reign with God in heaven. And New Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, however you want to put it, we're going to rule and reign with him. God has, it's not just going to be heart playing. It's not just going to be singing. It's not just going to be unending church service. You have responsibilities, and I don't know what they all are. It's going to be hard for us to imagine. I think it's going to be so fulfilling and so meaningful, and you're going to enjoy doing it for Jesus more than you can even imagine right now. There's some things you just enjoy. You enjoy doing them, and you especially enjoy doing them for the people that you love. It may be woodwork. It may be uh, cutting the grass for somebody. It may be making a meal. It may be painting something for somebody. But, boy, there's something you enjoy doing for somebody you love. That is really special. And that's the kind, I believe, responsibility we'll have in heaven. And then he says we're also going to be priests. Priests are the people who have the chance to go before God. They're the ones in the Old Testament who have access to God, to go into the Holy of Holies. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, the Bible says that we are a priesthood right now, which means what? We have the ability through the blood of Christ to enter in the presence of God. And he's saying one day through the blood of the Lamb in the New Jerusalem, in the heavenly kingdom, we're going to be able to enter the kingdom of God, enter the presence of God, not just by faith, but by that's all because of Jesus. And that is a reason to worship Jesus. 
It says they sang a new song. I say, well, I like old songs. Well, old songs were new songs at one point, <laughs> right? And uh, I don't know what the new song, well, it tells us a little bit about what the new song will be. But here's, maybe songwriters have an, have an, have an occupation in heaven. And maybe, maybe that in heaven, their new situation, see, heaven's not going to be boring. It's not going to be the same thing every day. I think there are going to be new occasions that arise that call for new songs. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be singing them. And here's the beautiful thing. Everybody's going to like them. <laughs> Everybody's going to like the old songs. Everybody's going to like the new songs because what? They're, be, they're to be sung to him. They sing a song to Jesus. And what do they say? You are worthy. You are worthy. You're worthy to receive power, all the energy that we have. You're worthy to receive wisdom, the best that we have, best we can come up with to serve you. You're worthy to receive love, majesty, and our sacrifice. You're worthy of all this. And when he writes persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, he's making the point that nobody's left out. Doesn't matter uh, your race, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter the language you speak. God has always wanted a multicultural body of Christ. And so uh, I can remember whenever, um, whenever we had the Ugandan kids came through, and so we look on our, in our backyard, and we've got um, three Ugandan kids and one Chinese kid and two white kids and they're out there jumping and falling on top of each other and laughing and rolling around and stuff and Laura's like that's what heaven's going to be like right there just people loving each other from their hearts regardless of what we look like where we come from what our culture is God has always wanted that he says people from every tribe every nation every group are going to come and we're going to worship together last of all um, Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They circled, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, the point is not to try to add these numbers up. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. It's not the point. The point is it's innumerable. It's beyond what we can count. There's going to be such a fantastic worship service, such a big worship, such an outpouring of praise, such fervent praise. The point is all are caught up in worshiping Jesus. The Lamb, and notice that the Lamb received, which is Jesus, receives the exact worship as the Father does. Why? They're both God. There's one God manifested in three persons. And the last part of that says, and the four living creatures said, Amen. The word amen, we, you know, we don't think about it much. Doesn't mean I'm done praying. <laughs> That's kind of what we take it to mean. It's not what the word amen means. The word amen, I mean, really, it was a full and precious and meaningful word to the people this time. Amen means yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you can do it. Yes, Lord, you are powerful. Yes, Lord, you are wise. Yes, Lord, you are merciful. It's us saying, yes, God, we believe you for who you are and what you're going to do. And we have prayed this, we have sung this, we have worshiped, and now we believe you to do it. 
There's a song I'll close with tonight. Um, this is, you, some of you have heard this on the radio stations. It says, our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. That's our God is the lion, right? The second part, our God is the lamb. The lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around tonight, how can, how can Jesus be more the center of attention in my life, in your life, in Hopewell Church. In heaven, he's the center of attention. He is worship because what? What we said earlier, he does things nobody else can do. He gives unconditional love. He restores us. He's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can forgive us and enable us to forgive others. He's the only one that can make the earth work the way it does. He's the only one that can bring life out of death. He's the only one that can cover our shame. He's the only one who can give peace in any circumstance. He's the only one worthy of praise. Lord Jesus, we bow before you to worship tonight, to say, Lord, you are worthy. Thank you for this peak into heaven where we see all the angels, creatures of heaven, worshiping you. All the people who've been saved, worshiping you. And help us tonight, Lord, from our hearts to offer you praise and wisdom and power and glory from our hearts. As Lisa plays softly tonight, if you just...